Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, we're back, and hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. It is good to be back after taking the month of December off from recording. We trust that your Christmas and your New Year's holidays were as great as what we experienced. I'm glad also to welcome you to this first episode of Season 2 of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm pleased to have with me today Byron Shearer and Trent Rogers. Byron, Trent, and I serve as elders here at Grace, and we'll be focusing our attention in the coming minutes to the importance of the local church in Scripture. Byron, Trent, you too have been very involved in discussing this matter within our church over the past couple of years in particular, and both with leadership and with our members. Thanks for joining us today to talk about this really essential topic. Happy to be back with you, Bart. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been great. Well, we're looking forward to another great year here in the podcast, and let's just start off here by discussing definitions. What we call the universal church is comprised of all believers in Christ, past and present, and and of course, I do want to reference that the discussion doesn't just end there. There's a lot more to talk about with the universal church, But, but today, what we're discussing is the local church. So what is the local church? That's a good question, Bart. Uh, the New Testament has uh, some passages where it talks about the church universal. So I think especially of uh, passages in like uh, Colossians and some of them in Ephesians. But then there are a number of passages where the, the authors are addressing a particular local church, a particular group of people who have come together to say we're going to live the Christian life together, like a kingdom outpost in a particular context. So... How do we define a a faithful local church? Well, there's some history here, Uh, particularly during the the Protestant Reformation. There were were two marks that were really significant, the right preaching of the word and the right celebration uh, of the ordinances. So uh, particularly they were saying that uh, a local church ought to be word-centered in the sense that uh, the word should be taught. Uh, The people should respond to that. There should be um, leaders who are are teaching the Word. And then the celebration of the ordinances, particularly the Lord's Supper and uh, baptism, that they are administered in appropriate ways in that local context. I think those two marks of a church imply a, a third idea, which is right leadership. Right leadership who preaches the Word and administers the ordinances, And then this idea of commitment to one another or those who hear and respond to the word and celebrate the ordinances together. So that's just a really quick summary. We could say a lot more about specifics of local churches, but I think right preaching of the word, right celebration of the ordinances, and right organization in leadership and commitment to one another. And that right, uh, let's talk about that right leadership, for example. Uh, You referenced the Reformation, Trent. Right immediately following and even during the Reformation, you had a lot of divergence in, you know, from the Presbyterian Church to the Anabaptist on down the line. Uh, You're not suggesting that has to be exactly like our church. Uh, No, I think our particular ecclesiology, I think, is most faithful to the biblical testimony. I think um, the idea of having congregational governance, um, elder leadership, and deacon service is most faithful to the biblical testimony. But I'm not going to call my Presbyterian brothers apostate because they have a a different ecclesiological uh, structure. I'm going to argue with them, though, and try to convince them that... uh, 
this is the right way to go. <laughs> great, great. Grace, for example, has been through 65, so almost 70 yeah. years now of uh, leadership. I, just to point this out, back about six years ago, we went through a, a dynamic leadership change as far as uh, recognizing elders at our church. So even Grace has been through some changes here over the past few years. I remember during that period when we were going through that, and Byron, I know you remember this, we had some people say, are you meaning to say that you think we've done it wrong all these years? And I think the question, the answer that we told them at that point was not wrong, but we think we can do it better. Not necessarily wrong, but we can do it better. Yeah, I think I think what we did is uh, we became more in line with our stated convictions because our previous uh, structure of the church had what we would call pastor elders and then deacons. Uh, I think part of the challenge was is that sometimes we started to charge the deacons to function in pastor elder roles. Um, so I think it was a clarification of those roles that was more in line uh, with New Testament uh, testimony there. It's also obvious that, you know, when Paul went to various places, he, uh, the first, one of the very first things he did in those places was he selected, he established elders in every place he went. So apparently it was important for, for leadership to take responsibilities and immediately and um, because they had the responsibility of, of um, handling the Word of God and, and teaching the Word of God. Yeah, when you think about Paul's instructions to those close ministry associates, he's telling Titus to you know, appoint elders, and he's given Timothy instructions about what to look for in elders. And I think those are those are key uh, texts in the New Testament that are uh, communicating the significance of pastor-elder leadership. And then also I think deacon service comes through, but particularly in in uh, 1 Timothy 3 is where it's mentioned. So. And in um, and in the very first church, you know, it was obvious that what Trent was mentioning, you know, when that when the um, when the people got together in Acts chapter two, I mean, mm -hmm. they celebrated they celebrated communion. They were involved in in the areas of the ordinances. So so and the I, word I mean, was it, preached. It, it was very that was from the very beginning. We didn't we're not doing something that didn't start from the very beginning. That's a great point. Uh, Acts two, you have celebration of the ordinances, the breaking bread together. You have the word preached. Um, and then you, you have clear leadership, even in the very earliest stages. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the word ordinances. Other people use another word for that particular word, thinking it means the same thing. Can one of you differentiate between the use of the word ordinance and the use of the word sacrament? Yeah, so um, of course these are drawing on Latin words. Um, so sacrament is communicating the idea of mystery. Now, what people mean when they say sacrament is is varied. So sometimes you'll hear a, a Roman Catholic talk about sacrament in the terms of infusion of grace. Um, sometimes you'll hear a Protestant use the term sacrament, which they just mean sacred and mysterious in the way that we... 1 Corinthians 10, that we have fellowship with God in the Lord's Supper. Um, and the term ordinance, uh, we think about ordained or commanded. They are commanded uh, by Jesus Christ as ongoing celebrations. So there's a variety of ways to talk about them, but the idea of sacrament emphasizes uh, mystery uh, in a positive way, that God is beyond us, and the way that we relate to God um, is is even beyond our comprehension in those those sacred uh, times. 
Um, and an ordinance just says we're, we're being obedient to what God's commanded us. Right. And Byron, of course, we recognize two ordinances, and those would be if you can just walk us through both of those. Yeah, those are, well, those would be the Lord's Supper and baptism. And um, and one recognizes the the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Christ because we're looking forward to Him coming again. And the other and the other one looks to His death, burial, and resurrection too. And so they're both they're both really pointing to the the center of uh, the focus on Jesus Christ and what He has done for us in salvation. And certainly, as leaders, one of the things we try to do with our congregation in our public meetings is to emphasize both of those. Again, in the uh, when during membership, a number of individuals will come and need to be baptized because we believe that baptism does certainly follow uh, the salvation experience and the salvation decision, but also it precedes church membership or it coincides with church membership. And then of course the taking of the Lord's supper, we do it twice a month at this period of time. And it's been really fruitful to us, I think, to continue to focus our minds on what God has done, getting really putting the first things first basics of Christianity. So just to make a quick comment, since uh, you went off script here, Bart, and we started talking about ordinances, which I love, um, but our main topic was church membership. So the question is, like, how do, how do the ordinances relate to church membership? So to state it really simplistically, in baptism, so baptism is the immersion of a believer into water and the incorporation of that believer into a local church. So we baptize somebody into a local church. So incorporation draws on that idea of body language. This is a local corporate or body. And identification. Then, and, and, yeah, identification uh, publicly with Christ and with this group of believers. Uh, and then the Lord's Supper, when we distribute that to uh, believers, it's a reaffirmation of their, their confession. And then if you think about discipline, it's when, when we discipline somebody out of the church, we're no longer extending the Lord's Supper to them, and we're saying we can no longer affirm your public profession of faith because there is not a consistent lifestyle. So those ordinances are really tied to membership and to discipline. And um, and they're not and it's interesting because um, because you know some churches uh, tie those things to salvation, okay, right. and um, and we we um, say they follow salvation, they don't bring salvation. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a key point, uh, Byron. So the the baptism is an affirmation, as best as we can tell, that a person is in Christ, and then they're in this local church. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a reaffirmation that, as best as we can tell, they are in Christ and in this local church. And then discipline would be a removal of that affirmation to say, we can't affirm that you are in Christ. For the good of your soul, repent of this. Well, they're indicative of salvation, but not certainly not they don't affect, saving. They, they do not affect, uh, affect uh, right. or enact salvation, uh, but they are... Uh, 
uh, in light of that reality. Well, so let's go ahead and, and we'll move forward now, Trent, with okay. the membership matter. Grace has taken a stand on the issue of church membership. And in the context uh, of culture, whether it's Christian culture or greater culture, we are somewhat countercultural. We were talking about this before we went on to the microphones. Many churches, for example, do not maintain a distinct membership list. And, and even in the greater culture, membership numbers, I can tell you in trade groups, professional groups, uh, or other types of religious groups, membership has fallen. People are not joiners as much. We don't want to join as a, as a culture. Let's talk about that. Why do we practice membership here at Grace as we do? Well, um, it's it's really hard to hold somebody accountable to in in their life, and and they they come to grace. One of the reasons people many people come to grace is because they want to be held accountable for their own spiritual life. It's hard to hold people accountable for their spiritual life if they haven't if they don't if they don't join something to to say, hey, we want you to hold us accountable. And so that's that's one of the that's one of the key areas. And the other area is really involved in the fact that we we care for people. We love them, and we want them to be involved in serving each other. and And it's 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 important for us to to um, have a a membership in order to understand who is really committed in relationship to service. And, and I think just a quick statement on why we practice membership is because we think it's biblical. Now, I could give you a defense of why we think membership is biblical, and I'm happy to do that. But uh, we think that it is a way to live out uh, the commands and the vision of the Christian life uh, that's been given to us in the New Testament. Well, and we've heard, just as an example, uh, this past week we had a message that friends shared from Matthew chapter 18, the first four verses, or 14 verses, and right there is just a, an absolutely beautiful picture of what it is to be in a church family. Now, the church had not been initiated yet, so to speak, but the fact is that all these one another's, all the together's, all the building one another up that Thad talked about is just, it's endemic to what a church is supposed to to be and we're going to get it again this week oh, uh, with, bless, we bless our brother uh, next couple of weeks yeah. he's got quite a quite a uh, dictate doesn't he yeah because we we continue matthew 18 and the the question is really how does how does the church come alongside uh other believers in pursuing holiness together what is reconciliation what does repentance look like in a local church well what does one doesn't have to talk to too many people, guys, before we hear the thought that church membership is not really essential. I mean, I can be a Christian and not be a part of a church. Now, I tried to tell this to my parents back when I was the robust, wise age of 12 or 13. I remember that. How do we respond to that statement? Somebody comes to you with that, maybe an adolescent, a teenager, a seasoned veteran. Yeah, so just as, as we've said, um, becoming a church member does not make you a Christian. So uh, we need to reaffirm that. There was a time in, in uh, American history where there were a lot of people who just wanted to join with the church and they weren't actually saved. Uh, and, a cultural. Yeah, it was a cultural issue. thing. Uh, uh, and we should also say that not being a church member does not make you not a Christian. Um, but I, I would question why a genuine Christian wouldn't have a disposition of banding together with others in covenant community for the purposes of discipleship and evangelism. 
Um, and then I would have all sorts of questions like, how do you live out the New Testament commands? Uh, submit to your leaders. Okay, so Hebrews 13, you're supposed to submit to your leaders. Uh, how are you living that out if you're not willing to commit to a local group of believers? I would also ask the question then, you know, uh, leaders are charged in 1 Peter 5 uh, to oversee the flock of God that is among them. Who's who's the flock that's among them if they don't have people actually making that a formal commitment? I would want to know, how do you live out the ordinances? Into which church were you baptized? Um, uh, with which church do you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Uh, who oversees your soul in a way that they would uh, disciple you and discipline you if if necessary for the good of your soul? So I think um, just I, I would have all sorts of questions for a, a, a believer that would say like oh, I don't want to I don't want to band together with fellow Christians. That, that I don't think that that makes a lot of sense in in the New Testament vision of Christians. It's, yeah, it's really interesting because. Uh, it's it's hard to grow. I mean, it's impossible really to grow spiritually if you're a loner. You know, if you're if you're all by yourself, and um, and so, and so one of the things that's really critical is to be a part. I mean, God's designed this. God designed the 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 church in order for people to be growing, and um, and it's hard. It it just seems to be like it would be very very difficult for a person to be involved in real real significant growth without the family. So one of the things that we, we've said a number of times is that God has created us for community. Um, that's part of what it means to be human. He's created us for community, and he's recreated us in Christ for the local church, uh, for community in that church context. So we think about images of the church of a flock, so you got a sheep saying, I don't want to be a part of a flock. He wants to be or, the one out of the hundred. <laughs> or, or family. Uh, you got somebody saying, I don't want to be a part of a, of a local family. Again, th- those, are, those are concepts that are, that are foreign uh, to the New Testament depiction uh, of the Christian life. And I think it also uh, leads to a misunderstanding of what heaven is. Heaven is a, a great cloud of witnesses worshiping God together. I, sometimes we joke that there are no solos in heaven. There, there, are, there is the, the universal church at this point coming together uh, from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God together. And isn't it interesting? Getting back to Acts chapter, getting back to Acts chapter chapter two. I mean, isn't it interesting that there's an absolute delight in being a part and being added to the an absolute desire? That's right. I mean, it, it was just a natural thing. You know, I've I've trusted Christ. Now I want to be a part of this group. So let's boil this down. You're not necessarily saying somebody who is not a part of a local church is not a believer, but you do have to question perhaps their salvation you certainly need to we need to question what i'm hearing you say we need to question their desire to grow you need to we need to question their uh what is behind what's driving their life it it could be so christian uh not wanting to band together with other believers it could be just uh an issue of uh of misunderstanding they they might not uh, somebody says like you need other christians like oh now now i get it it could be an issue of immaturity uh, you were talking about that uh, one time in your life. That was that was your disposition. It wasn't necessarily just one time, but that's the side point. <laughs> yeah, so so it, it could be just uh, misunderstanding. It could be immaturity. It could it could be an issue of blatant disobedience, 
or it could be an issue of n- not regeneration. So somebody who's not a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, I, I guess it makes sense for you not to want to be a part of that family. But categorically, there's something wrong going on. If, if scripturally, digging, digging deeper into the grace of Scripture, it, there's got to be something wrong if you are not desiring and not in a body. Yes, and, and so people, people often will point to, well, what about a missionary? Well, his purpose in going to the unreached area is is to bring the gospel so that people uh, will see the glories of Christ, um, believe in him, and band together for gospel witness in that context. It's it's the idea of planting a church. And scripturally, looking back in Acts chapter what thirteen, he's sent by the local church as a rule. That's a great point. Uh, you know, Acts thirteen, it's the church sending people out. Plant churches, yeah. Well, guys, it's not unusual during times of difficulty within a church or or for a member to decide to move to another local church. We've seen Byron, I think, somewhere around a hundred come and a hundred go just in this past year. Is mm-hmm. that approximately, approximately right? Yeah. So, in fact, someone listening may currently be contemplating such a move due to maybe it's dissatisfaction with his or her current church, or perhaps even outright disagreement with the local church, the local church leadership, that person comes to you. Counsel that person as they think through that kind of a decision. Boy, uh, that's a good question. I One of the things that I say when people talk to me about that is, um, is we're family. And it's um, and I th- I think that sometimes what what happens is we miss the fact that that we we're co- we should be committed to each other as as family members, mm-hmm. and we don't and and family members don't leave the family just because mm-hmm. just because they have a, a disagreement, um, they and and w- the other part of this is, uh, in, why did that person come to the church in the first place? I mean, did they come to the church because it would meet it meets my needs, or did they come to the church because they f- they felt that I can do something here in relationship to serving, or I can do something in relationship to being accountable. I mean, all the things that are a part of the reason why they've come, you know, uh, have implications on why they're going to leave. And and if mm-hmm. it's if it's true in in one church, it's going to be true somewhere else. If I'm going to a church for what it will do for me, then then if if some other church doesn't do it, then I'm going to move to another place. And so the church hopping is is is. Um, not only detrimental to the church, but it's also detrimental to that person's life. Byron, I love your emphasis on the idea of family, that we don't give up on family, and we stay committed to family. I think one of the things that that I've observed being an elder here is when someone comes to join our family, uh, and they're coming because they're dissatisfied with the family from which they're coming, Oftentimes, those same issues will resurface here. Um, uh, one of the one of the hard things about uh, making a change in circumstance because you're dissatisfied with something is that you take yourself to those new circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm always very cautious um, when there are people who uh, cautious in a pastoral sense. I want to help them think through. Um, uh, the reasons that might be appropriate reasons for transitioning a church from a church to another church, uh, but I'll, often I do want to caution um, that sometimes it's just a uh, a disposition of dissatisfaction. 
And, and that's one of the reasons why we as elders um, meet with uh, every person that comes into membership here, we, because we want to ask those kind of questions. We want to pursue why they're coming. You know, we want them to understand that we want to care for them, but we also want them to understand that there's a, there's a commitment that, they, that has to be made. It's not a club. That's right. It really isn't a club. Yes. And I love, I love the pictures, the, the building, yep. the family. Uh, it, there's just so much to be gained by that yep. and understand you can't be off, as you said, a lone ranger. Uh, a building is not one brick. Yep. Another scenario, someone approaches you. They're preparing to move to a new area, and she asks you for advice on finding a new church near her home. What do you tell that person? And, and just to, to mention, you know, Byron said 100 in, 100 out. A part of that just is because we're in a college town, and, you know, we have uh, faculty members, staff members that transition. We have students that transition. So uh, for us, that that's a normal That's course. a rhythm. It is. It is. But yeah. we also have been through a worldwide pandemic for yeah. two years, yep. which has affected things, and we've also been through a senior pastor transition. Yep. Um, so it, it, there are, you know, moving moving locations, for example, is one of the one of the questions we often get is like, how do I find a new church home? What do I look for? Um, so the, the the two main areas that I, I talk with people about are, are basically doctrine and ministry practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in doctrine, I want them to think through that in, in um, what's sometimes called theological triage. So people will talk about... Uh, Tier one, tier two, tier three, however you arrange those, like essentials of the faith. So you want a church who has uh, the essentials of the faith down. So uh, things like the Trinity, salvation, Christology, you think in terms of like the historic Christian creeds, um, those kind of uh, key affirmations of the faith, you want those in a church. And then there are things that are matters of conviction. Um, So, you know, the, the essentials of the faith, if you don't believe those, you're not a Christian. But then there, there are, there's a second tier that are matters of conviction. And these are things like baptism, uh, church governance, gender roles, and ordinances. Um, so I would say in this tier two, these convictions, I want a church to agree on all of those things. Like I, if I'm moving to a new place, I'm not going to go to a Presbyterian church because I have, for example, different convictions on baptism. Um, I'm going to go to a church that aligns with those ideas. I can affirm that Presbyterians are, many of them are Christians, right? They have the essentials of the faith down. Um, but we, we differ on key things like baptism. And then there's there's a third tier that's uh, maybe opinions or, or preferences. And I could be at a church where I disagree with some of these things. So uh, maybe it's like the, the particular interpretation of a, of a few texts. Or maybe it's something like you mentioned the frequency of communion. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a worship style. So I would counsel somebody... You want to make sure that you agree with the essentials of the faith, the, the convictions. You want to make sure that you agree with that second tier thing. I think I called those convictions, the, the idea of uh, specifically church governance issues. Um, but you could, you could recognize that you might go to a church who has uh, different opinions or preferences than you. I wouldn't make worship style my key, uh, my key rubric for deciding if I want to go to that church or not. So doctrine. And then I think ministry practice is is a key thing. So uh, how do they disciple the sheep? 
right? So I'm looking for things like uh, expository preaching. I'm looking for uh, intentionality in Christian community. I'm looking for ways that they live out those one another commands, like membership. Um, I'm looking for an intentionality in, in discipleship. And I'm also looking for an intentionality in, so sometimes we call it discipleship and evangelism. Uh, I want to see how are they reaching uh, the lost locally and globally. Um, So I want to see uh, those kinds of commitments uh, of reaching people around them. And I want them to have a disposition to the global cause of Christ. Those are like, those are the key areas I I, I tend to think of uh, doctrine and ministry practice. I'm sure I missed something. Um, but uh, those would be the key, the two key areas that I would counsel somebody. And Byron's shaking his head. He said, I don't have anything to add. That's, that's the truth. I really appreciate um, the, the three. Um, <clears throat> I really appreciate the, the three specific uh, priorities that you mentioned. Um, worship. Um, fellowship, which includes discipleship and evangelism. I mean, those are the those are three extremely important priorities in a church. That uh, that that if you're going to join a church, you need to really con- mm-hmm. really be considering how are they doing those three. How how are they addressing those three things? Well, and having a focus, uh, just to emphasize again, Trent, uh, the focus on what can God do through me here? Mm-hmm. Certainly, what can the... Hey, it has to go both ways, and it does. That's good. But what can God do with me in the giftedness that he has given me, specifically with this church? And uh, too often we are, we're a what? A consumer culture. Yeah. And so, even in our churches, we are consumer-minded too often. So you're thinking of First Corinthians 12, this, this idea of, of a body, right? That's right. And that, um, you have a function and a role to play in this body. So uh, that, that's something I didn't include, but I think that uh, the, to ask the question, where can I serve in this in this church, um, is another good question. Right. Good. Guys, because, because God has gifted, God has gifted us as believers. Certainly. Certainly. And 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 the church is a combination of a bunch of gifts in order to build up itself in love. That's good. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. A great topic, a very important topic for today. And you too, I really appreciate your being here with us. Thanks, Bart. Yeah. We've been talking today with Byron Shearer and Trent Rogers about the importance of the local church. And you can access sermons, many of which will deal with this type of topic from Grace Baptist Church, from our extensive audio catalog, as well as each of our podcast episodes by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. Next week, we plan to welcome Tim Cockrell, our new senior pastor here at Grace, to the podcast, and we'll be discussing his sermon from Matthew chapter 18. Until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.